0: Welcome to the Beyond 3D podcast, where we explore all things 3D and the important role that 3D data plays throughout the manufacturing process, driving decisions throughout a product's life cycle. Here, we talk with industry analysts, business owners, developers, and industry influencers, and hear real stories that you can relate to and learn from, and know which trends and technologies apply to your business. So join us as we go Beyond 3D.
1: Good morning, good afternoon, everybody, depending on where you are in the world. I'm Ron Fritz, CEO here at TechSoft 3D. This is one of our Beyond 3D roundtable series. Today, we've got a bunch of experienced industry leaders in the general AEC market space. And we're going to talk about things that, as we look at it in 2023, we're surprised are not solved yet or as easy as they should be. Things we might have predicted would be sorted out by now. And then, if we have time, look forward a little bit and make some predictions that we can then look back at again in five years and see which things we were right about and wrong about. So, in that spirit, we'll actually just kind of start to go around. I'll I'll call people out in the order that I've got them in the squares for a quick minute or two introduction of who you are, your company, and what you guys do. And let's start with you, Anand. Sure. Go. Thank you, Ron.
2: Here, meet, meet the guys. So, Anand Misheri, co-founder and CEO of Invikara. we are in the digital twin space, and by digital twin we mean, I mean it in the broadest sense of the world uh, word. As you all know, digital twins mean many things to many people. It's really about composing solutions to specific business problems. So we went about building out this platform called we call it. Inicara. Um, a, a bunch of microservices and application framework allows developers to write JavaScript and compose uh, whatever solution they want, pretty much starting from a clean sheet of paper to getting a functional a solution in, in a matter of months. Um, the platform surface is all the capability they need to do that. Yeah, so that's
1: what we do. Got it. How about we'll turn to you, Eve?
3: Sure. So, Eve, I'm the, one of the co-founder and the, the CEO of Fieldwire. We... You know, now Fieldwire Hilti we got acquired a year and a half ago. We do field collaboration for construction. Uh, I mean, we've expanded into more general construction management, but I think our our heart and soul has always been close to the to the field and to the
1: craft workers. And
3: I think that was about it uh, for us. And so now we're part uh, of this giant
1: company of Hilti. Um, how about you, Jesse?
4: Jesse David Building Ventures uh, know some of you, but not everyone. And uh, we're early stage, but vent- capital firm first in 2017 uh focused on uh investing in early stage companies company building by orientation around how we design build operate and how people experience the built environment before that i began my career in aec by accident in 1985 with my first copy of autocad 1.0 to 2.0 uh so i've been around autocad's ecosystem seems like forever and we created a company called Softdesk, which became public, was acquired by Autodesk to become Autodesk AEC. Then I attempted an escape from AEC to become an investor. Failed at that and continued as an investor. In 2001, started Borealis Ventures um, and uh, was not going to invest in AEC. But then I made an investment sketch up and you know, there was no way out. So I've stayed in uh, AC Investing from when there was one or two investments a year to the entire category creation now. So it's been quite a ride. Um, and two thousand and sixteen saw the arrival of Katera and we work and a bunch of other things happening in the industry. and felt like it was at a turning point, and we created building ventures to to uh, to help in that opportunity. So that's the history.
1: Gotcha. As I mentioned in my email, jesse and and building ventures have their fingerprints all over the current AEC startup realm. How about you, Tiago?
5: I. My name is Tiago da Costa. I'm the co-founder and CEO of Toric. Uh, this is uh, a company I started in 2019 after spending about five years at Autodesk, building their their data teams. My prior company was acquired into Autodesk. Back then, we were already using TechSoft. Back then, um, as a uh, as a customer, and we built a mechanical engineering tool. Then uh, spent some time at Autodesk, building now Toric, a uh, data analytics platform for construction. And started in um, in 2019. Spent some time stealth, and now we're launching this product back last year. Having seen very good adoption from key general contractors and owners and operators in the U.S., um, some of the the largest construction companies started adopting us to move data between all the sources of data they have data in, um, analyze and build dashboards and reports uh, to feed their teams with uh, real time insights. So that's a short intro. Gotcha. Uh,
6: how about you, Tyler? Tyler Barnes. I'm the president of Techsoft 3D. Uh, I've been at Techsoft for uh, over eight years. I've only been in this role since January. Prior to Techsoft, I was a partner. I worked at Autodesk. I licensed a number of different things. I was in charge of the Autodesk Inventor product line. Um, so got to know Ron and uh, and the tools and... One thing led to another, and uh, I'm here after a decade at Autodesk and some work experience at uh, non-CAD-related ventures before that. Look at all
1: these people with their best career years post-Autodesk. Remarkable. <laughs> uh, and Mirage, uh, uh, sorry, it sounds seems like you may have had some connection problems, but good to have you back. Uh, can you introduce yourself and your company briefly?
7: Uh, I am Viraj Vodithil uh, and uh, I run a company called uh, Texture. We are uh, primarily into uh, engineering consulting using some of the latest tech uh, in the EC industry being one of the central uh, pillars of what we do. Uh, I've been running this organization since the past uh, decade now and uh, along with that recently we've also uh, started uh, delving a lot on the product uh, side so we've got uh, cloud based product called cube uh, where uh, we are using uh, the hoops tools uh, and uh, it's mainly a construction management and the project management application so yeah that, that was a quick great
1: so i think it was i think it was a quote from bill gates that i read one time that said that people underest- overestimate what they can do in a year and dramatically underestimate what can be done in 10 Bill Gates obviously doesn't have a lot of familiarity familiarity with the construction and construction software space <laughs> because nothing gets done in a year at all. But there are a number of things, a number of areas that probably back, let's say, 2018, before any of us ever heard of COVID, when we used to go to things called trade shows that we thought, oh, by 2023, this will be, this won't be a problem anymore. This will be, this will be easy, or this will be solved and i'm interested to hear what what surprises people about what does not fall in that category at this uh, by this point how about you anand if you if we can get you unmuted again
2: yeah so talking about covid transition uh, i think there's so many positives that come out of covid is, you know we could feel the, the impact to our business we were always remote uh, so nothing changed for us but all of a sudden all our customers were available remote uh, we were able to do business with uh, traditional companies in the middle east would have expected us to sit around the table for weeks to get a deal done um, so i think there's a whole big shift that has happened in the industry which is very positive but yes back to you know business growth um, you know, we never saw a slump through covid so i couldn't comment you know what really has not what it has installed coming coming through that uh, but let's see, you know, this talk of uh, the whole recession, recessionary trend right now is is
1: concerning, but I don't know what to make of it yet, the asset. Mm-hmm. Eve, what are you surprised about that's not, uh, when, when did Fieldwire start, by the way? What year? It
3: started in 2013, probably would have started okay. in 2011, had I had my green card sooner, but you know, that's, yeah. the, that's the timing there. So... I think the part of the industry that maybe is moving the slowest is the the business model of construction. Uh, I was on a I was on a panel in Italy like two weeks ago, and we were talking about BIM, and basically they were saying that that very often, like people want to collaborate, but like basically there is little incentive from a from a from a business model perspective uh, to do so. Like you know, like sure, like everybody could show up five months ahead of the project and start working together and start solving problems. But, but really there's, you know, I'm just like very often they feel that they're they're working for somebody else to make money. Um, and so I think very often, like the tech is pretty good in construction. I mean, I think if we, if we compare like 2013 where everything was unfundable in construction because just no company would ever get acquired for meaningful money to now, like I think it's, things have changed quite a bit. But the the part that I think is still holding us back a little bit is I think the the, the business model and the incentive between companies, mm-hmm. I would say like that hasn't changed at all uh, or very very little uh, in the market.
5: Got it. What about you, Tiago? Yeah, I think I agree with uh, with Eve on this. I think uh, the you know the, even the business transition that larger companies have gone through, like Autodesk, has been met with fierce you know um rejection by the market even something like subscription model it was so so hard um if you look historically every company was complaining that they could not own the software anymore that they had to pay out of desk monthly if you put that in perspective like how do you make your software better if you're not getting paid to do it if you get paid once and then you get complaints for the next 10 years um how do you make it better so our industry has really you know come late into a business model transition where the software vendors are working to improve the software alongside the companies that are using the software right that's what we see with any SaaS um and that improves competition improves you know the ability to to purchase and the ability to to develop the tools that you want to develop so I think now still there's you know very little competition because it's really hard to build these tools, you know, if you think about it, like a BIM tool takes ten years, right? um and and so on and so forth, even if you mm-hmm. put all the money you need to put in to make that product., uh, so I think business model has prevented innovation. um and I think the customers have been they they haven't had this foresight because we badly educated them, so it's partially our fault as people making software. Um, mm-hmm. And new models are popping up, new ways of doing business that more closely correlate to the value that you're bringing to the business. I think if you look at Procore, their business model is quite different with volume base. So depending on how much you're building is how much you're paying, you know. And then now you have a lot of People also not liking that model. So um, we have to find the balance, right? Um, between doing business profitably and developing the tools that the, the industry needs. There's there's a deep like a dire need for technology in the space to continue to evolve and improve, especially in construction. And it's a little bit less in mechanical engineering, I think, because it's been they've been ahead a little bit, I would say, in terms of a lot of these things. There's many more competitors. Uh, but in construction, we have um, we have had that challenge. I think, uh, but I, I see it's getting better. I think companies like Fieldwire being successful really paved the paved the way for a lot of other startups to to want to do this, and venture capitalists want to pour money into the industry, and that's how you see innovation happen. So, um, mm-hmm. yeah, two cents. Nice little cross group plug for Fieldwire there. Couple Bay Area guys
1: helping <laughs> each other out. Um, Tyler, I know that a lot of your experience has been mechanical, but of course, being with Texoff for a number of years now, a lot of seeing what a lot of our partners are doing in construction BIM space. What surprises you? That's still an issue.
6: I think the the business model conversation is really really interesting. I'm, I've learned a lot there as this discussion's going on. Um, yeah, my my point of view is more from a manufacturing side, but I do we do work with many many AC companies and. One of the things that surprises me, probably because I come from a mechanical background, is how much inefficiency there is, um, particularly in kind of the design, the design to build phase. It's, you know, it's people using BIM software to gather data. Buildings are designed manually, conceptually, then they're redesigned in some modeler. Data is entered manually, it's printed manually. It just seems like I don't know. It, it's it's very different than the, I use, you know, alias to do conceptual design. I can bring that into a modeler and build off that design. It's just, to me, it just seems like, and the further you go down that process, the more it seems like there's manual inefficiencies that, you know, maybe in construction, um, it, there, there wasn't enough yeah, you know, there's enough money that they weren't needed to be stomped out but if you look at manufacturing and sigma and all the all the different things and um construction like the bim process doesn't doesn't look very lean to me from an outsider's point of view hmm.
1: raj you guys make software of course but then you also do a lot of consulting for companies so you probably see there's sim- similar challenges over and over and over again that make you go, wow, there's, maybe that's why you built the software that you built. That's to say, I can't keep seeing this over and over again. But what surprises you that still people are struggling with that you thought
7: would be solved by now? Absolutely. I agree with uh, what Tyler was uh, just mentioning. And we've seen that over and over again in this industry especially you know when we talk about some kind of connected workflows right from let's say the conceptual design to retail design and then uh, execution on site uh, so there's there are like clear disconnects uh, in this process and it's not just like the disconnects of course are due to different stakeholders being involved in different stages of the project and uh, the cross communication and all those uh, complexities that uh, are brought in by the process itself but even in uh, pretty standard uh, use cases where let's say there's a design build kind of contract and this is just one party responsible for the complete project so even in those cases we've you know seen uh, that these workflows typically don't you know stand and uh, like uh, the example of manufacturing was given similar tools do exist in the ac industry and we've seen people adopt uh, some conceptual modeling tools and then try to bring that conceptual massing into a uh, model authoring and detailing tool and then build models on top of that uh, extract drawings from there so uh, it's not that these things haven't happened in the industry but uh, when we talk about uh, being able to repeatedly do these kinds of things uh, consistently in projects uh, that's where we've seen things fail a lot and even certain organizations where we've helped them set up these kinds of workflows uh, they've used it for a while, but then gone back to the old ways of doing things uh, mm-hmm. again. So uh, some of those things definitely uh, do surprise me a lot. That uh, you know things uh, aren't really happening as how they should be. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. All right, and
1: Jesse, you not only do you guys invest in a lot of companies, but you probably hear a lot of pitches of things people are seeing. Okay, this is a problem that needs solving, and we're going to solve it. What surprises you?
4: Well, you um, we old
1: AEC veteran, you.
4: <laughs> well, we also have 20 <laughs> investors who are from the industry, right? Um, and yeah. some of them are publicly well known. So I personally spend obviously, a lot of time on startups. It's my day job, but a lot of time I was last on Thursday, March 9th in the afternoon. I was on a conference call talking about the backlog pipeline and how good it was with one of the largest builders in America as my phone was blowing up on SVB. You know, kind of like you remember mm-hmm. where you were at that moment. Um, mm-hmm. And I don't know whether it changed or not in the last 10 days, what time will tell. Maybe a little bit more concerned about backlog than we were in that conversation with that builder. But I just made a couple observations about some of the comments. One is that I've grown up, this is a project-based business, not a product-based business, AEC. That's, that's historically what has held it back. From scaling, implementing technology, being consistent. It fortunately is becoming more of a product business, by the way. The industrialization of construction and so forth is enabling that. But you know, Ford Motor can drive the entire ecosystem because they want to they have a product at the end. But right now we have a million construction projects underway of size in the world globally. You know, um, and so those are all very different. They're all very different in location, timing, stakeholders. It's a very regional, local business. It's the most hyper-local industry in the world, based upon what you can do on one side of the street, you may not do on the other, based upon the weather. There's so many factors that make AEC more complex. And so over time, we have this very deeply siloed you know, business model. And I don't know if this is what Yves is referring to or not, because there was two business models conversations going on here, I think. you know? One is the business model of the industry, which frankly is the thing I think that limits innovation, not the purchasing model of software, it's the industry model of the duplication and the sort of the re-entry and so forth, you know, from architects and engineers into builders, into the owner operators. You know, this is why we mysteriously fail on things like handover, which seems so logical, or the integration of design and construction. But there is all good news in all these fronts. It's just all evolving, is my take. Like, there is a rise in design build. It's unquestionably there's a rise in design build. Mm-hmm. And actually, technology is enabling the business model to evolve, I believe. Like I was at this Yale class I gave in this presentation where essentially you show the silos of how we design and build our world, but also the rising tide of technology enables that flow of data and sharing across there. And that is threatening, by the way, the business model. So I'd make just two more comments. One is that this is why, Sometimes I joke, but I mean it that Massov SoftBank, who funded both WeWork and Katera, is like the co founder of our firm. Because when he funded those companies in 2016, 17, and 18, the largest construction families in the country who I spent time with, who are our founding investors this is the Bill Baines, the Mortensons, the DPR crew, the Duns, all these people they were all threatened by this, particularly by Katera. Mm. Because wait a minute, if somebody could deliver a college dorm, like a product, how does that work for us? You know, um, and then we work in WeWork and real estate, which is still having an impact, even though we work went through this entire flameout process, it also really changed the nature of commercial real estate forever in terms of pressure on leasing and amenities and uh, lower time periods, which affects TI investment. So those firms and what he did there, he kind of lit up views on the change of the industry because these multi-billion dollar multi-generational families, They told me that, like I was listening and they're like, yeah, this is, could this really happen? So there was a lot of reasons that maybe Katera failed and other things maybe that are outside of the industry. But I think that industry business model will be the thing in five or 10 years that does change. The technology enables that, kind of limits it, drives it, learns from it. And the other thing I would just say on the software side of thing is I gave this presentation post SketchUp at the COFACE conference, which we all used to attend, which is uh in the museum in the back i guess now mm-hmm. uh, that's my museum mm-hmm. back there but um you know uh it's parked back there and i remember giving this presentation on the arrival of SAS, and people were like afterwards they were like this is like crazy that's never gonna happen Never gonna happen. i wasn't visionary about it i was just thinking that people would pay you know subscription because i knew this guy mark benioff who one time i was in a room with and he was showing me a electrical outlet telling me The software is going to come out of there like the electricity does, Jesse, you know, kind of a thing. So, you know, I had the benefit of running into him and learning. And I was thinking that. um, So if I had to make a prediction now, I would say we're going to be usage based pricing models eventually, because the subscription stack is so expensive now, you know, and uh, we're transitioning Mm -hmm. through that with creative models by industry, like in construction, Tiago, you mentioned you know, pro core percentage of a build and so forth. But now there's so much competition for that wallet that's priced like that. You know, as investors, we're trying to invest outside of the construction wallet competition, right? Uh, Where you can actually maybe be more important strategic to the business than being lumped in a sort of that wallet, if you will. So I think those, I think changes on both those fronts, the business model is the underpinning of like everything. So um, I think on the industry side, and frankly, on the software delivery side, that will make a huge difference five or 10 years from now.
1: That's interesting. I was expecting a lot of conversation about technical limitations, which are still there. But certainly, it seems like market dynamics and, and business models are very much on people's minds, throwing it more wide open to whoever wants to speak up, anybody want to Refute something somebody said, or ask for clarification, call bullshit on something, or strongly, strongly support a comment someone made, and expand upon it.
2: I was particularly intrigued about Jesse's comment about handover. Right, this is a problem we've been trying to solve, and it's this fails to, you know, uh, for anybody to really understand why is it failing because every party is interested actually to solve that problem. The client. Wants a good handover. The contractor wants to hand over and get out because he doesn't want to be referred to again uh, and reduce reduces risk. Uh, so even, even though we talk about the whole life cycle of an asset and there is so many silos across all of them, even if you take this one stage of this whole life cycle and take handover as a, as a as a stage, the number of stakeholders, the project manager, there's contractors and subcontractors, there is a auditory surveyor, there is a client, there's an operator. Uh, the number of folks in that just one stage of that entire life cycle is, is so mind-boggling. We're struggling. I just wanted to say that, you know, Jesse's point about, you know, every every stage along this life cycle has its, has its own set of problems that we need to find a way to solve.
4: Other yeah comments? I think uh, what I just maybe just respond to that when when I was sort of growing up, if you will, in a c because this has been my entire life by accident. but um you know, Disney was kind of the gold standard, right? And it was kind of funny. following Disney, it was the casinos who were basically demanding that they have visibility from the beginning all the way through delivery and cared about the entire process. And they were like the only two entities in the a c for like twenty years that really try to drive that and technology limited the ability to do that. It was for Vessi. but they were kind of like forcing it. But now, you know, there's so many more class A owners like that, like Meta doing a data center. You know, mm-hmm. uh, whether they're using a product or not, trust me, from being involved in their program, which many of our, my investors are also serving them in, building these data centers, they have a handover scenario. Um, but they're a unique owner that way, right? Because they they will use that asset. They they plan on it, right? So that's a. So I think the more we can enable that for broader construction, that's the thing that still doesn't make sense. But you'll these particular owners. So I don't know. I think it breeds um, innovation and progress and in innovation. The more that you have these sort of enlightened owners driving this too and requiring it. And hopefully that spills over into mm-hmm. different types of projects and different types of owners and different sectors. Because like data centers are to me leading edge right now, you know uh that zone of in that industry, the critical building industry, is really the leader when it comes in many ways to innovation because you have an owner that's super is focused on that thing for a lifetime
5: yeah, I think just to add to to that, I think owners are are pushing for everything to be better, right, like more predictability and more transparency, all of these different things that we see technology be able to improve, um, owners have been been pushing for it. Um, I expected by now that owners would be demanding in a more proactive way. And I think that's been hindering the adoption of technology by the construction companies uh, so far, mostly because they can get around it. And I think if they couldn't, if that was just a requirement, like you have to provide these things or you have to operate in a certain way, um, I think the likelihood they will see better adoption and increasing quality of life for construction people. um, Because as you adopt technology, you reduce risk, you reduce all these things that technology can do. Um, I think that would just change the game. So I'm I'm expecting at some point that as you start adopting more of the techniques that that product-like projects demand, right? Warehouse is a great example. As long as you have a foundation, you can put it anywhere. Mm-hmm. <laughs> as long as it you know doesn't have any natural disasters around, you can deploy it. You know, data centers anywhere. So I think these types of projects are really critical uh, to blaze the way to productize more of the construction process.
0: Mm-hmm yeah, and an
5: interesting
2: uh, that is also the fact that owners it's not enough if owners just specify what they want, right? There's so many ways to skin a cat, and in the end they get something which is not solving the problem. They have to they have to say how they want it to be done in a way because then there's more certainty of the outcome. And what we find is that owners who actually spec- know how to specify the how actually get those outcomes that you were referring to Tiago. but mm. others. Yeah, but many
1: don't. Yeah. Eve, are you yeah. going to add something?
3: Yeah, I mean, if you like what, what Anand said, I think connects well with with kind of like owner types and, and and building types. So if you take a data center, I would argue that Facebook probably knows more about what they want in a data center than the company that's actually building it. Like I'm, I would mm-hmm. argue that Facebook Facebook is probably designing the data center and asking the company to build it, which I think mm-hmm. is not your typical owner. I think most mm-hmm. owners mm-hmm. are asking for a building. Mm-hmm find a company and they're like, this is what I have in mind, company builds it. And, and you know, like they, they don't know the details of it, if you will. Uh, and so I think this is where the, the business model drives the innovation is yes, Facebook has an immense incentive to build data center in a certain way that will support their business for, for the years to come. And they're planning to operate it for a certain number of years and it costs them electricity and just, it's, it's an entire mm-hmm. thing. Like they're thinking about, I mean, it's basically a super vertically integrated process because the owner is driving it, right? Uh, and so the question that, that that this leads to quite naturally is, I think to some degree, we're a late adopting industry on, on a lot of technologies. I mean, like when we started Fieldwire, we didn't drive mobile adoption in construction. I think construction got mobiles, mobile phones when when children get mobile phones, right? We were like 20 years behind the US army on, on adoption on that front. I mean, 3D came from manufacturing, like all the BIM stuff came from manufacturing and we've been trying to really drive it in the industry. But like, obviously, I, I mean, I would argue that manufacturing is probably ahead of us for very good reason, by the way. But, but you know, it's we get a lot of spillover technology. And, and I think the last piece for that is, I think we're a risk-driven industry. Um, and and risk has been like a little bit of a break on, on technology. And what changes the what changes the mix is when the owner suddenly is the one pushing for, for the innovation from a, from a very selfish perspective. And like, you know, Facebook building data center, they're ready to try so many new things to just get mm-hmm. what they want from the product perspective mm-hmm. uh, that a company like just would, would not necessarily try. Like companies are very comfortable being like, I would rather build the same exact building that I just built. Uh, because I know a whole lot of stuff about, you know, what works, what didn't work on the last one, let's be iterative in how we do it. Um, so, so it's a little bit broad, but uh, I think like we've seen very different owner types and that results in fundamentally different, you know, outcomes technology wise. Like yep. you see like hospitals, like like companies, like uh, yep. healthcare firms that really care about getting a type of hospital. Those are the ones that push like, you know, like uh, collaboration to the max. Uh, in the tools and everything that comes within, right?
4: And and healthcare is one of those sectors, by the yeah. way. Because my thing is it's by sectors, right? Like mm-hmm. the data center and critical mm-hmm. industry sector. But healthcare is one of those more mainstream sectors where increasingly technology enables these uh, hospital system to declare more what they want up front. And actually technology enables transparency and visibility. So more stakeholders can be involved earlier. Which is yep. better outcomes at the end of the day, so that's kind of like the silos over time going down a little bit by sector by owner mm-hmm. type, to you guys' point, I think,
7: yep. mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, adding to what Eves just mentioned about the construction industry being one of the late adopters of you know most of the tech out there. Uh, and especially if you look at uh, the 3D side of things uh, and uh, addressing one of the points around that you were mentioning about the technical limitations. So I'll just try to sort of the conversation uh, towards that a bit so if we look at, uh, let's say, the gaming industry, for example, and the kind of uh, graphics that have existed in video games, maybe even a decade back uh, and uh, if you look at the construct industry today, to being able to, uh, you know, access the 3D models, view them, or uh, I would say interact with them in the way uh, the gaming industry has made it possible, we are still very far from that. I would say, uh, especially if we talk on the, you know, the model authoring side, and uh, we we are still with a lot of clunky tools that require minutes and minutes of loading time, and uh, in 2023 we still need like you know 64 gigs of ram to be able to open uh i would say a standard size model not even of very obscenely large models uh, and uh, we've had, we've seen a lot of uh, struggles uh, around some of those workflows. So that is one thing that really surprises me, that we've seen some of these challenges being solved in some other industries uh, with large data sets. Uh, but when it comes to the construction industry, uh, some of the software that are out there, uh, uh, I think those have uh, been kind of impediments in uh, what we could creatively achieve. Uh, or you know what the industry, or the architects, or design consultants uh, in this particular sector could creatively achieve has been somewhat limited by uh, the software limitations out there. So you know that that is one thing I I would definitely uh, like to see improve uh, possibly uh, in the coming uh, couple of years because that does seem like a problem that should have been
6: solved by now, but somehow it hasn't. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, it's interesting you mentioned that, down, sure. yeah. like the, the technology invented in other industries. I, I, we had a conversation like this with a number of, number of manufacturing execs last time, and we spent a lot of time talking about AI and its impact on generative design and simulation and 3D printing and all these types of things. And here we're not talking about any of that kind of stuff. I think back to my time at Autodesk and Dynamo um, was kind of out and and Grasshopper and in the time since then, it seems like that technology that was kind of invented in AEC has just been propelled in manufacturing. And I don't hear about it very much in AEC anymore. And it's really kind of interesting and confusing to me.
4: I think you'll see more of that in AEC. Yeah. There's more to cooking underneath, uh, in the, cooking on the stove and yeah. <laughs> coming out. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, especially if you, as you get these larger owner operators or architecture. And b- design build firms, they then can get to the kind of scale where they can actually semi-build their own stuff using tools like In Vicara, you know, where they're, it's, it's a product, yes, but it's a platform for them to do that's, something. That's kind
6: of where I was going, Ron, and I'm interested to ask the question is, do you see, I know we talked a lot about, you know, changes in business models propelling the shift. Do you, do you see any chance that some technology that's out there on the horizon will play uh, like a fundamental role in accelerating that?
7: You ask me, like did I miss the-
3: I'll ask anybody.
6: Anybody.
7: <laughs> yeah, I think uh, I'll I'll try to, uh, my two cents on that, especially with the recent events that we've seen unfold with uh, respect to AI and the chat GPT's of the world that are coming up and they're the, like new AI products uh, springing up, uh, you know, almost every day. Uh, So, I do believe uh, that uh, with the speed at which some of these technologies are maturing and moving, uh, they do possibly stand to make a significant impact uh, on the AEC industry as well. Uh, So, uh, for example, if you look at some uh, AI technologies like Mid-Journey where you can just add some text prompts and you can get very detailed images which possibly uh, even human beings cannot imagine. So I can see some similar uh, applications happening, uh, let's say on the conceptual design side, where you put in a text prompt and maybe the AI suggests different floor plans. Uh, some of those things already like you know, if we talk about generative uh, design and generative AI, I think those things have been talked about in the industry for a while. Uh, but uh, you know, if we talk about the kind of experience that some of these uh, AI tools like Midjourney are bringing to the table, uh, those possibly have—you uh, know—they'll probably change the game uh, very significantly. Mm-hmm. I yeah, I think the to your point, like to to continue on
3: the on the stream of AI. I think construction has been dealing with like a bit of a data problem. I think we start with very clean data when we start with design, like our models are perfect and like, you know, everything works. I mean, I'm ideally they would be perfect, but they, they start pretty clean. I mean, at least it's binary information. It's there, it's not like, it's it's completely digitalized. And the closer we get to the field, the more we have to reconcile the fact that the environment is not as perfect as it is. Like manufacturing deals with a pretty clean environment. We do not on, on job sites, right? And so there is a moment where we start using people to just deal with the fact that there is a delta between what we're experiencing on site and and the design we had. And like, because we're using people at a fairly granular level, I think it's super massively inefficient. Like, you know, that those are the workflows you talk about. It's like, this is what I have on the mm-hmm. left. This is what I have on the right. And somebody is mm-hmm. making micro decisions to reconcile the two sides. And I think that's where like AI is going to be like probably super useful. I don't know how close it is, uh, but I, you know, obviously I think we we all just are 10 years further than we thought we were at the beginning of this year when we see what ChatGPT is doing. Like for example, for Fieldwire, mm-hmm. like we have a lot of messages in Fieldwire, like people just constantly message back and forth and it's unstructured conversation. So there is some structure to Fieldwire and that's what we've been able to, to do. And it's been very deterministic, but the idea of taking conversations and extracting meaning from it and just maybe automating some of that, or maybe having, it's not a person responding to you. It's like an AI that just represents the, the workflows of the company. I mean, that's uh-huh. that's probably not that far. Um, and so I think like that's where AI I think is gonna play. It's gonna help us bridge kind of like the fact that our, our perfect plan and the environment just don't quite match. And and we're going to be able to start bridging that more automatically than than with people just doing it by hand.
5: Yeah, my two cents on AI. Clearly, I mean, there's a lot of interesting stuff happening. But all of these AI models, they were figured out for general consumption and for consumers. They were they were figured out to solve things that we need every day. We need you know answers to questions, and we need very specific. Um, we need very specific things that we, as a human, we we tend to do, and tends to take a lot of time. And the the amount of data that you have available for that, and the decisions you need to make, that math works out right. So you have a lot of data available, and the questions you're asking every day, they're very general questions that can be answered. I think in the case of of manufacturing or or construction, what you're going to see is that a general model that answers. A fairly large number of questions but a very general very large model that general generally answers these questions is not suitable for a company that has much less data with much more specific questions So, what i think we're going to see is that you know there's like a thousand construction companies that are going to be a thousand ais right um and WeWork, we work work actually has an ai engine in front of it for detecting all the data all the data types all the different uh, entities that are embedded in the data. And as a data platform, what our customers are asking of us is to train on their data. Like nobody wants to get suggestions for things that happen at another company um, Mm -hmm. because that's what's meaningful to them, right? So general questions might be answered in a general way, but when you have specific questions and you're working with a supplier and you're always working with that supplier and you always want the answers from that supplier. And you want to understand what those answers are and you want to detect if there's any deviation on that and so on. Those are going to be the important AIs in construction. I think generating shapes for buildings and, you know, flying donuts made of glass in the sky held by a single, you know, (laughs) steel structure. I think those are awesome buildings. They're going to be beautiful. They're going to happen. People are going to make them because they're breakthroughs in architecture more than in construction. Well, actually they're breakthroughs in construction too, because they're impossible impossible to build sometimes, very difficult. So I think that will happen. And I think that will be awesome to see, but in a general way, I think the process improvements is where we're gonna see AI come in and really improve things. Um, and on that matching of like the questions I have, you know, to your point, like things you have on the right and things you have on the left, how do you bridge the gap? I think like what whatever helps you get closer, to the final outcome or detect something that you as a human wouldn't be able to detect because you don't have all the background of what your company has worked on for the past 10 years right but if your if your company had an ai helping you then i think that will help so i think that's that's what we'll see in in the space and also in manufacturing because there's so many specialties in manufacturing that are so difficult to predict um, the way that somebody builds something is so unique to that shop and, and the equipments and the, how they lined up the equipments and everything else around it. Um, so you have to have that happen, I think, in space for it to take off. Mm-hmm. Well,
1: that pivots us, us perfectly to uh, sort of predictions. Now that Tiago's made his prediction about where AI will and won't. That circular thing in the sky, did you somehow get early drawings of the new Techsoft 3D headquarters? That we've been working on a lot of people talk about the apple headquarters but we're going to blow some minds you just you wait and see uh but i know we kind of
4: this ran a virtual to the headquarters end. or a virtual head the virtual a headquarters. headquarters it's all in my okay. head tyler and i talk about it all the time
6: like ron, ron and i are actually there we're in bend oregon right now in <laughs> the
0: office yeah <laughs> yeah we're
1: in the donut we're in the donut it's yeah. invisible yeah metaverse headquarters yeah we're so we are um I know we. i had said forty-five minutes, which we've gone beyond because the conversation's interesting. But let's do a kind of round-robin wrap-up of you know m- making a prediction, one person at a time. What what we think we'll see five years from now? That's that's impossible. And you'll you'll get another crack at it, Tiago. You didn't you didn't burn your your wrap-up on AI,
7: Viraj. Uh, let's start with you this time around. Uh, yeah, I think. Uh you know, again, just continuing on the AI trend uh, to make some predictions Uh, So, uh, like Tiago mentioned, I think uh, we will also be seeing some fundamental challenges uh, that are there in this industry being solved by tools like AI. Uh, For example, this industry has uh, one of the major challenges of interoperability between, let's say, different file formats and different tools and different software. Uh, We've seen uh, some of those, I mean, being addressed through uh, very logical or algorithmic approaches but with things like ai i believe that uh, you know those kinds of problems would possibly be solved much in a much easier fashion uh so let's say being able to convert a particular file format or being able to you know uh, extract information in automated ways in an in intelligent ways not just automated ways so those things seem really uh more practical and uh, some things that would uh, possibly happen in the next couple of years. Uh, So that's one of my predictions that uh, practical outcomes, which uh, do seem uh, challenging to us right now with traditional approaches, those problems we'll see being solved very soon. How about you, Eve? any last thoughts?
3: Yeah, near horizon, I think we'll have figured out the loop of kind of like data capture and progress capture on job sites so that there is more robotic automation that that is there in five years. I, I think that's the next five years for construction. Gotcha.
1: How about you, Tyler?
6: I'm going to refrain from making a prediction, but <laughs> I I thank you all for your feedback. I learn a lot <laughs> when we have these conversations and it'll help us kind of stay ahead of things uh, for serving partners in the space.
1: Yeah. I, yeah, From personally, I predict that interoperability won't be an issue, but from a business standpoint, <laughs> I sure hope it still is. <laughs> uh, how about you, Anand?
2: So I could talk to you know how we have seen things evolve and, and using that to kind of project forward. When we started our journey, we started with you know building data management tools to help uh, designers and contractors to streamline their data in this mistaken belief that they know what to do with the data. We realized they don't know what to do with the data. They, they have no use for it. Now, it's coming to a stage where they realize that their data means something and they can do something with it, but they don't know how to use it. Um, mm-hmm. And that led us to sort of building out this platform so we could compose solutions for them in the way that they want to use their data type of thing. But then we're also finding that really scale it, they have to bring in somebody with software skills. And, and, and those IT services companies are making it really expensive and difficult for them to, to scale using of their data so my personal prediction would be that ai would be would, would play a role in helping these companies to build solutions on the platform like ours which is composable so they can actually say okay here is my business problem uh, they have some sort of an interface just to to define their requirements and there is some automation assistance in creating those applications bespoke applications that mm-hmm. start solving their problems that's what that's something which we would actually bet on
1: happening and, and maybe even try to happen. Gotcha. Tiago, anything more beyond the, your AI thoughts?
5: <laughs> yeah, I think yeah <clears throat> I think there's I think I think there's some good points here with robotics and I think the most likely thing to happen is that we will see a reduction on the or an attempt at reducing the amount of time that it takes to to do things so that companies can become more profitable. And I think that will be coming from multiple angles. If you can you know paint a wall with a robot, why wouldn't you paint a wall with a robot? Why do you you know if you could do these things,, um, with data, why wouldn't you do that and so on. So I think it it will come from multiple angles, but I think what will just really change the game for all these companies is how they work together in collaboration and the transparency they have with owners that will change how they can adopt technology and and go back to the business model idea, right? I think they are all trying to reinvent themselves. And some early early construction companies have made the, the attempt to become a technology company. And that's a really hard thing, um, as everybody has seen, because, you know, building the talent pool that we are competing for, it's hard. Um, so I think that's where AI will close the gap um, for them, right? Like having less technical talent to leverage the technology. Um, so and I think that will happen across the board, not just in construction. I think adopting technology is just way too hard. Um, and selfishly, we're a data company. So in five years, I think the data problem will be solved and companies will be able to leverage all their data for all these things um and i think that's just the first step if they can't start using their data to do these things they they won't get there and um so i i would say you know step one is probably solving data step two is probably the ai on top of that and i think step three is how that changes the the game for them in terms of profitability risk
0: um, and all the other aspects of their businesses Gotcha. Jesse, wrap it up.
4: So I think the industrialization of construction will pick up the pace. This is an industry that evolves. A friend of mine is the chief innovation officer, one of the largest builders in the world. And every time I see him, he's like, Hey, do you have a game changer for me? I'm like, if I do, will you use it? He's like, Hell no, I can't put a game changer in. You know, it's so it's an industry that evolves versus just changes overnight necessarily. But that pace is picking up. There's no question that the productization of the process is happening. People think about it that way. Construction will never be fully a product like manufacturing because it is the most hyperlocal thing in the world. That's subject to too many things, right? So there's always going to be that finishing component there. But it's that is picking up steam, and I think AI will only help that. Will probably become more real than we think in the next five years, even this year in the form of some recommendation engines that I've seen. That's one way to think about it. It's a little bit more Netflix-like than how people might think of it, sci-fi like, right? Uh, mm-hmm. Sort of di- augmenting, like a non I think you know, augmenting the design and, and uh, engineering process as an example is a is a really natural way for it to start. And I also think that, in addition to the industry business model, which will change as the industrialization happens, those are linked together. I think our most popular area of startup business plans is a prefab and modular no surprise at the end of the day, those are also the most difficult ones to be standalone businesses because the industry is changing. It's not just a business, it's the whole industry that has to change. And I do think one more final thing is, you know, uh, I think there probably is a change in pricing model, how these products are delivered and how they're sold and how they're priced. I don't know quite know what that is yet, but I feel like the subscription stack is filling and that presents a lot of pressure and usually there's some relief for that. So there's going to be some change in pricing, I think. Uh, but hopefully, my hope is that we do reach an inflection point in this industrialization of construction so that more broadly, a fuller range of owners can be involved, uh, enabling you know, with technology to be involved earlier in the process. So at the end of the day, the outcomes are better. A better built world to us is what it's really all about. And I think we're all on that path. The timing is tougher to pin down. But everybody here is involved in that mm-hmm. um, in your yeah. own way. And everybody's opportunity is in that zone, too. So. To me, the future is only brighter for firms like all the ones here as well.
1: Damn, I couldn't possibly have had a better summary, couple of sentences than that. So, we'll, I, we'll wrap it up with that. Thanks a lot for the the time with the group. A lot of interesting perspectives. Hopefully, you guys met some new people, heard some new ideas, and I'm sure yeah. that Tyler and I will see you guys around the around the horn at. at whatever replaces COFAS and, and every other I, industry event.
0: Have a great, great, great to rest of your everybody. day, guys. Thank you. Thank yeah.
1: you. Oh, Cheers. I Thanks for progress. joining. Thanks. Take it easy.
0: Thank you for joining us on the Beyond 3D podcast hosted by TechSoft 3D. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes and leave us a review or subscribe on SoundCloud. To listen to past episodes or learn more about TechSoft 3D, visit wwwtechsoft 3 dcom forward slash blog. Send us comments and suggestions at info at 3 dcom Thanks again for listening, and we hope you'll join us again on the next episode of Beyond 3D.